This is Reverend Chuck Blair. Welcome to our weekly podcast on New Church Live. So great big good morning. It is just great to see you folks here. By the way, I do recommend if you want to, you know, you're looking to shed a few extra pounds, do the St. Francis Inn. I did it on Thursday night and I'm 20 pounds slimmer. About 900 degrees in there, but a great experience. So welcome to New Church Live. I, today's theme is real simple. It's, it's a theme of, about invitation. You know, that seems so important in the fall to think about what invite can be. The compelling why. Because this matters. You can't say it any more simply than that. Because this matters. For many of us, you know, struggling through dark times, struggling through challenge, struggling through loneliness, and you fill in the blank. Feeling like community, uh, fraying at the edges often. So there's an invitation in all of that to maybe think of ways to do it differently. And what it takes is it takes that commitment. It takes that willingness to step up and say, this matters. And I'm raising my hand. And we are here to do in ways incredibly broken, incredibly imperfect, the best we can to create those very communities that we believe will breathe life into the world. I think that's so much of what Christianity is all about, picking up those broken tools again and again and again, day after day, even when it feels like, what's the point? We still bend down, we reach down, we grab those broken tools, and we try again. We try again. That's what courage is. That's what matters. That's what lasts. So that invitation is so important. And I love the words of, of the Holocaust survivor, Hannah Ardent, you know, and, and she uh, mentioned her a few weeks ago. You know, she wrote this large tome on, on kind of the darkness of humanity. And you would think after writing this really dark kind of essay, she would come to the end of it and say, you know, it's all, it's all worthless. But she doesn't. She says, beginning is the ultimate capacity of human beings. Beginning is the ultimate capacity of human beings. We can begin anew again and again. We can figure this out. We can can pick up broken tools. We can do the best we can. And I feel that way every time we come into the fall. Like there's this invitation to look back at the year behind and and think about what we did well, think about areas where we messed, and and then like button them up and get ready for it again. Get ready for another year. Another year that's going to be wonderful. Now, in understanding that, you know, kind of the importance of this, can I be a complete geek for a second? Please give me a big yes. yes. This is Chuck being a complete teacher geek. For those of you who don't know, I taught for many, many years. I taught in the Pittsburgh City School, Pocono Mountain High School, and then I taught down here at ANC right across the way. So, so most of my background is in education. And we were kind of raised as teachers Based on this basic thing. Now, does somebody know what that is? Is there a teacher in the crowd who can shout out what that is? Maslow's hierarchy. Give that person a round of applause. Whatever that was, you got it. Maslow's hierarchy of needs. We're all raising us. Like, this is what we had to really understand to be able to teach and understand what everybody wanted. And what it basically said is you had basic needs, psychological needs, 
self-fulfillment needs. And the very top, can you say those two words in bold there? The very top was? Self-actualization. Self-actualization. That's a lot of syllables in there. Sorry about that. Uh, it's self-actualization. The very top of it is like self-actualization. And I remember reading this and thinking, oh, that is absolutely true. And to be honest, I, I don't really believe that anymore. I think this is very much part of the problem. And I know that may sound like, ah. The other doesn't show up on that. Service doesn't show up on that. I look at this, and not that it's all wrong, I just want you to listen carefully to this phrase. Those way, may well be my needs. They may well be my needs. But i got to be careful that I don't make them my God. They may well be my needs. But I have to be careful that I don't make them my God. That can become its own form of idolatry. Because when we take it, this is what the challenges become. When we take ourselves and we live that way, it can feed the small self, a false self, a self that is dualistic, frames reality into binaries, seeks security through rightness over and against. So it, it can split the world because I've got to have my self-actualization need. I have to have all my needs met. And then I can finally give over to other people. And one of the things I've realized again and again out there in the world, I'm going to step over into this carpet, when we step into different places in the world, places that are a little bit darker and a little bit more challenging, places where the light doesn't shine as bright, again and again, what I see there is people who don't even have those physical needs met. But they're still giving. And they're still happy. And they're still filled with joy. Amazing to watch that again and again and again. I'm going to step back over here. And religion can be the same way. Like if religion is all about self-actualization and there's plenty of it out there, I think we're missing Christ's point, what Christianity is all about. Now, to add a little levity to this, I love this New Yorker cartoon. Going past a panda panhandler, here I was all this time worrying that maybe I'm a selfish person and now it turns out I'm suffering from compassion fatigue. Or we can even make that about ourselves. And how is it that we start to shift? Start to maybe see it differently. And again, I, I want to say that, that it's not about not becoming self-actualized. But it's about a different kind of self. It's not about a self that is all needy. And will finally find itself when all those needs are met. How many of us in here have all our needs met? <laughs> hopefully nobody's raising their hand. I can't see you, but hopefully nobody's raising their hand. Because we just don't. We just don't. There'll always be that one more thing that we tend to think will make us complete and whole. And maybe a different way to spin this is just to see that there's four kinds of happiness. Maybe we can just look at it that way just as a counter, as food for thought. Four kinds of happiness out there into the world. There's material happiness, there's stuff. It's nice to have some nice stuff. Achievement, accomplishing awards, that's a certain kind of happiness. It was great last week when people said, hey, I thought that was the best thing you guys have done. That's great, it feels nice. 
Generosity, a giving, that kind of happiness that comes from giving. But then moral happiness. Spiritual happiness. Where we surrender ourselves to a moral cause and unconditional love. Surrendering ourselves to something far greater. It's not based on pulling into my needs, what I need. It's based on looking out there into the world, seeing what the needs are out there. And as best I can, drawing as close as I can to both discover what those needs are and to serve right into those needs. That's, folks, do you see the invitation there? It's an invitation that pulls us out of ourselves and pulls us into community and pulls us right back into community. Now, is it possible? Is it possible out there in the world to do that? Well, I want to show you a video here, and I want you to take a look, and I want you to see in this video what that's like. Because as we look at that, we have to be able to understand this. To find true happiness then means courageously breaking and moving beyond, and let's say that phrase together, moving beyond the silence of unconcern. A silence that a focus on personal fulfillment might create. So if I'm really ensconced here, and I'm going to hop over onto this carpet here in a sec. If I'm really ensconced here that it's just about my needs, just about becoming self-actualized, I'll be tone deaf. The silence of unconcern to those around me, to my life, to my world, to my planet, to, to all kinds of different things. So I have to learn to step over here. And, and I want to talk about, you know, what one author, the way one author phrased it. Uh, and I've said this before, but I think it's so powerful. It fits right in with silence of unconcern. It was from a book. It was written, the book was written by the, the main agent, the Mossad agent who, who kidnapped Adolf Eichmann. Uh, takes him out of Latin America, brings him back to stand trial in Israel. Adolf Eichmann was sort of the, the architect of the Holocaust, where all the Jews were killed during World War II. Tragic event, one of the most tragic in human history. And, and he comes to the end of the book, this agent, and he's, he's actually sat with Eichmann for a week, which is kind of amazing. They're in a safe house. So he's like sitting across the table from Eichmann. They're having conversation after conversation. And what he says to Eichmann, what Eichmann, what, he, what the conclusion he comes to after conversing with Eichmann is this. He said, evil's not necessarily the problem, though evil is obviously not good. That's why we call it evil, all right? But he said that the challenge is, and listen to this phrase, amorality by consensus. Silence of unconcern. Amorality by consensus. And I think that there's a real challenge there for us because how is it that, that we continue to, how is it that we can continue to work to break through that silence of unconcern, to break through the amorality by consensus and to continue to reach out there into the world? Folks, it's hard. And I'm not talking necessarily big, grand ways. It's hard even in small ways. How many of us feel tired? <laughs> feel tired. I have a wedding this afternoon. I'm going to go up to that wedding, and for a moment I'm going to think like, dear Lord, I just want to sit in my car and listen to football all afternoon. <laughs> and I have to break through that. 
I have to break through that. I did yesterday at a luncheon. I was just thinking, boy, I just want to watch the Penn State game, blah, blah, blah. I go down and sit with a man. He starts crying. He turns out he lost his wife a couple of weeks ago. That's what's there. It got simple. I'm not there to tell him anything. I'm just there to ask him about his wife. It's breaking the silence of unconcern. It's not always heroic. It's certainly not always noticed. It is not self-actualization of my needs, of everything I want and I need before I can become a real person. But it's finding the real person. Through all that tiredness, through all that apathy, that's what the call is. Take a look at this video to see how someone did it just with a simple letter. We end the week with a prayer. Here's Steve Hartman on the road. For 37-year-old Marlene Brooks, a property manager from Park Hills, Missouri, this story came as a shock. You know, just you come home from work and in an instant your whole life changes. It, that's literally what happened. So It was last April when she says a letter arrived. I opened it, yes. Such a heartbreaking letter. <laughs> Even five months later, she still has a hard time reading it. <clears throat> Yet such a heartfelt letter, she still carries it wherever she goes. It says, Mrs. Question Mark, would you consider to become my friend? I'm 90 years old, live alone, and all my friends have passed away. I am so lonesome and scared. Please, I pray for someone. Signed, Wanda Mills. The return address was a house across the street and two doors down. A house so quiet, Marlene didn't even think anyone lived there. The next day I went over there, and she pretty much was kind of shocked I came over. It was the beginning of what has become a dear friendship. Hi, honey. Wanda is now in a nursing home, but Marlene still visits her at least four times a week. Hi, how are you feeling? She brings her husband and kids <laughs> and all the energy that comes with them. So how has it changed your life? Well, it helps. Marlene says it helps her, too. Says she always regretted not spending more time with her own grandma. And this feels a lot like redemption. She even started a group called Pen Pals for Seniors to help end the isolation for others. I mean, it could be any of us, and just nobody should feel that way, ever. Sounds like you found a calling. Yes. Amazing. Yeah. How Wanda just happened to write that letter to the perfect person. What a coincidence. Or not. Somebody sent her. Who sent her? God sent her. Wanda mailed a letter two doors down, but seems pretty convinced the reply came from above. <laughs> Steve Hartman, on the road, in Park Hills, Missouri. Now, as, as the band comes out here, as the band comes out, was that somebody who broke through the silence of unconcern, yes or no? Yes. And, and here's kind of the fun question of it. Like, I, I look at that, and I, I look at the picture, and I think, well, who was inviting who to what? Who was engaging who in what? 
So you had somebody who's moved out, for both of them in some interesting way, have moved out of, of, of just that the world is just about them. And they've moved out to find community. Out to move and find community. Calling all angels. Not sure how I'm supposed to preach after that. <laughs> it's beautiful. Thank you, Josh. That idea of, of you know, waiting on an angel and, and what can that be and, and, and how do we really embrace this idea of invitation and engagement. And then these themes again and again that go back deep into the Bible, thousands of years old, that are always talking about that invitation, God forever offering this invitation. It's interesting when you look at the Bible and there's, you know, New Church, we read it poetically. So, uh, you know, there's parts of it that are hard to understand, but easier to understand when you see them at a deeper level. And then there's these gems that just kind of come to the surface. These gems about care, these gems about what God is up to, this gem, these gems about what God is calling people to for, for thousands of years. Not just the latest fad here in Philadelphia, but, but this call that goes way, way, way back. That's what I want to read a story here for you. And this is, this is the story. This goes back to Isaiah. Isaiah uh, is known as the, the poet laureate of hope. This is written three, 4,000 years ago. And it's written in a very dark time for this, for this land of Israel, modern-day Israel. Very dark time. They've been taken over by other people. And he's describing... A really beautiful view of God. So I want to read it, and then I want to put, it, put some slides up and talk about some words here. O God and Savior of Israel, all the makers of idols will be put to shame and disgrace. Makers of idols, in other words, people who had these wooden images of God. And think of those images. They're just images all of us carry about exactly what we think God is. Uh, and that could be something, again, as mundane as football or whatever we have as an idol in our life. That's what it's talking about at a poetic level. They will go off into disgrace together, but Israel will be saved by the Lord with an everlasting salvation. You'll never be put to shame or disgraced to ages everlasting. For this is what the Lord says. He who created the heavens, he is God. He has fashioned and made the earth. He founded it. He did not create it to be empty, but formed it to be inhabited. He says, I am the Lord and there is no other. I have not spoken in secret from somewhere in a land of darkness. I have not said to descendants, seek me in vain. But instead, I, the Lord, speak the truth. I declare what is right. Gather together. Come, assemble, you fugitives from the nations. Ignorant are those who carry about idols of wood, who pray to gods that cannot save. Declare what is to be. Present it. Take counsel together. A beautiful line, and within that, when you start to pull it apart, it's got some incredibly beautiful parts to it. I want to sort of hit on some of these big words. I love that word. He did not create the word to be empty, but formed it to be. Please say it there, folks. Inhabited. He says, I am the Lord, there is no other. I have not spoken in secret from somewhere in a land of darkness. I have not said to Jacob's descendants, seek me in vain. I, the Lord, speak, to, speak the truth. I declare what is right. 
See those two words there, folks. Ready? Loud, please. Gather together. together. Good. Assemble, you fugitives from the nations. Ignorant are those who carry about idols of wood, who pray to gods that cannot save. Declare what is to, please say the be there. Declare what is to be. Present it. Let them take counsel together. In other words, learning together. And and these lines, folks, there's so incredibly much, so incredible, such incredible beauty in this passage. Now, I need to say, like, I'm a fanatic planner. I mean, it's it's not uncommon. I mean, literally, I could tell you what what sermon I'm going to be preaching in May. Yeah, I know. Isn't that a little? That's scary. You should be frightened to hear me say that. And, and, and so I go through and I, I pick passages and I get all my stuff and I started looking at lines. And, and then when I was planning this service, the sermon writing team did what they always do. It's a volunteer group, meets on Thursdays. They came in and, and they, we were talking about the sermon. I realized all the stuff I'd picked months ago didn't work. So literally I just went, okay, God, this is your chance. Open the Bible and point it right to this passage. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty smart. And, and it's like, oh, okay, I get it. I get what you're trying to say. Because I think... This next slide shows us what God's trying to share with us in this beautiful line. First off, inhabit the earth. We are invited to life. You are invited to life. I think so much part of our struggle is that we we stand outside of our lives, wherever we might place those, and we, we, we feel like we're standing outside and we're observing our lives. Can I get a little amen on that? Amen. Versus being into our lives. I mean, I feel like I am perpetually caught back in junior high school because of that mentality that there's this life, but that I'm somehow, most most of the time, not inhabiting it. It's life that God has said, this is your life, and it's God. Next line, gather together. So inhabit the earth. We're invited to life. Gather together. Engage with other people. That idea, folks, of, of, of engagement, it's, it's not just this invitation, but it's this engagement. The two have to go together. We can't just sit and, and invite people into a new world. We have to actually engage in that world. Think of it with Facebook. You can read a beautiful article on bullying, on how you shouldn't bully, put it that way. You shouldn't bully. You can click like and feel like you've done something. Have you done anything, yes or no? No, you've not done anything. You've clicked like. See, engagement is something far different. Engagement in in church or or nonprofits or synagogues or temples or mosques, it's, it's hard stuff to engage in. It's hard stuff, especially when we're coming from that perspective of Maslow's hierarchy, that it's all about me and my needs, my individual needs, my own self-actualization. Because maybe that's not what we sell here. Maybe we sell something a little different. Declare what is to be. I love this line. Please say the H word there. Speak to thee hope. Speak to the hope. That doesn't mean be dishonest. That doesn't mean that we don't say the hard things or or confront the hard, difficult, very challenging facts of the world. But that we constantly speak to hope. Joe Biden, 
speaking at John McCain's funeral, way cool. Regardless of where you are in the political spectrum, that's speaking to hope. It's speaking to something beyond us, beyond our regular like clashes in life. It's speaking to something greater. It doesn't matter so much what the words are, just that speaking to hope. And the final one, take counsel together. Learn, please say the T word there, learn together. Just, just imagine that, folks. I mean, just imagine how that can look in our lives. If we can understand, really let it into our souls. Yeah, we're invited into our lives. We're here to engage with other people. We're here to speak the hope. We're here to learn together. That's where I think we can come back to that idea that, that we try to do this. We try to do this because we are trying as best we can, as best we can, to break that silence of unconcern. Look at this beautiful passage here from New Church Theology. Divine love and wisdom cannot fail to be manifested in others that it has created. The hallmark of love is not loving ourselves, but loving others and being united through love. The hallmark of love is also being loved by others because this is also how we are united. The essence of all love is to be found in union, in the life of love that we call joy. Feeling the joy of someone else's joy within ourselves, that is loving. That is loving. I love that idea, folks, because when we see little pictures like this next picture here, we see pictures like that, that idea, that new church concept, that, that, that God's love and God's wisdom cannot fail. Listen to that phrase, cannot fail. Can I get a little amen on that? Amen. <laughs> cannot fail. Cannot fail to be manifested in other people. That's powerful stuff. And that, if we can understand that, that God's very love and God's very wisdom cannot fail, it's going to be manifested in other people. Imperfectly, of course. But can we even attach to that joy there and understand that that joy, we're not just there to receive it because we have a need and it comes in, but it's this flow back and forth. That's why I said with looking at these two women, you know, the question is, who is inviting who and where are they inviting them to? Where are they engaging? Like there's something very big and very true in that. And maybe that's the essence of invitation. Taking where we are, the challenges, the loneliness, the tiredness, the fear, the anxiousness, maybe even the despair. And all those things that can lead so easily to disengagement. It can lead so easily to disengagement. Understandable disengagement. And continue to reach across with invitations. Continue to reach across as best we can. I love the way the attorney Bob Goff put it. For a long time, I saw Jesus from a distance and thought we'd met. What I've come to realize is that if I really want to meet Jesus, I have to get a closer look at the people he created. That's a good line. I'd take a picture of that one. That's a good line. 
get closer to the people he created. Can I offer a little pitch here, folks? A little pitch, a little thing to think about. Think about, again, what I started this service with, thinking about invitation and why do we invite. Well, we invite because it matters. Because this actually matters. Something like that can be cute or it can change your life. We kind of get to pick. Breaking through the silence of unconcern. It, it, it takes a level of work, a level of engagement, a level of a lot. As we go into the fall and you're thinking about these couple of things, you're thinking about the back-to-school blessing service next week. You're thinking about small group leader training. And then you're thinking about the big series that comes up after this. Think about the invitation in this stuff, folks. I always feel as a pastor a bit torn when I talk about this kind of stuff from the stage during a worship service. Because New Church Live cannot ever become about itself. I feel like the kiss of death for all churches is when their primary concern becomes survival, not service. This is not a plea for survival at all. We're doing great. We have an incredibly healthy congregation. This is a thought. For us to all go out of here today thinking about invitation as the fall arrives. Thinking about engagement as the fall arrives thinking about the worlds that we seek to create as the fall arrives, thinking about, as Gandhi said, what is the tree we plan to plant under which we will never sit as the fall arrives. Imagine that. Imagine those kinds of invitations out there into the world. Imagine us in our own very small way Armed with what may feel puny, this tiny little gift of faith, but is also powerful. Armed with that, as we do our level best, our imperfect best, to break the silence of unconcern. Amen. We're going to close the service now with a prayer. You'll have the opportunity to say the Lord's Prayer as you know it, to say your own prayer, or to have a moment of quiet reflection. So please join me. So Lord, thank you for your presence here among us today. Thank you, Lord, for the invitations that you stir forever in our heart. Those beginnings. Those beginnings that we are able to experience again and again and again. Those beginnings that move us well past the silence of unconcern. Those beginnings to move us closer to you, closer to your way, to your path, and your light. And Lord, I'm sure I join with many here. Many of us just feel tired. Many of us just feel afraid. And Lord, help us in the midst of that to continue to reach out, to pick up the broken tools we have in our life, and to continue to build again and again and again. And bless us with an amazing fall. Such a beautiful group of people, Lord. 
bless our ways, carry us, and as we say often, carry us home. In your name, Lord, we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening. You can support this podcast at www.newchurchlive.tv. 